Welcome back to the show, everyone. I am Trish Regan. This is the Trish Regan Show. We got a lot going on. Apparently, the White House is really scared of Elon Musk. And not just the White House, the European Union as well. What is this really about? I want to dig into it. Portions of today's program are brought to you by Legacy Precious Metals. There has never been a better time to look at investing in precious metals for the long haul than right now. So go to LegacyPMInvestments.com today for more. Again, LegacyPMInvestments.com. All right, here's the number I, I want you to remember before we talk about Elon. By the way, I got a great guest coming up on the program today. He's out with a brand new novel, a science fiction novel that deals with some of this artificial intelligence. One of the real creators, by the way, he he was and is of artificial intelligence. But first, the Atlanta Fed is revising its GDP model down for the fourth quarter. Shockingly, they thought in late November that we stood a shot at making 4.3% of an advance. They thought we were going to grow 4.3% in the last three months of the year. Now it's going to be 2.8% growth. I have a feeling we're going to be back in treacherous territory. You're seeing some of this reflected, of course, in the market right now. You had the consumer consumption expenditure price index basically looking at the prices people pay for stuff. And it rose, not as much as people were worried about, but it's still showing some pretty solid gains. 6% on an annual basis. It's down from 6.3%, but it's still up 6%. And thus there are some real fears that we're going to be heading into a recession. It's one of the reasons why you need to think about how you're positioning yourself. It's a reason why I say, make sure you've got a diversified portfolio. Make So take a look at that diversification. And when you do, you might consider things like precious metals, like gold. I'd like you to call my friends over at Legacy Precious Metals, 1-866-589-0560, 1-866-589-0560. They will hook you up and help you out. I promise you're welcome to use my name. We actually had a wonderful discussion with some of you just the other day. If you'd like to see that, or if you'd like to sign up for the next one, Go either to my website, trishintel.com, or straight to theirs, legacypminvestments.com slash trish, legacypminvestments.com slash trish. We're going to do it again, so I'd love to invite you to that. It's all free, by the way, for fans of this program. Anyway, there's a lot of economic stuff happening, and there's a lot of real-world scary stuff happening in, in light of the crackdown that some would like to see on what I would consider our First Amendment, our freedom of speech. Elon Musk is not exactly high on some people's lists right now, and the White House wants to take a very close look at Twitter. There's a belief or a feeling that Twitter is going to be advancing misinformation, disinformation, and somehow that needs to be stopped. It's worth asking what misinformation really is. Right, because it, it turns out that huh, what do you know that that laptop that everybody was so worried about that laptop? Well, it turned out that wasn't misinformation. That was real stuff. It's just that the powers that be didn't want you to know that. European Union just came out within the last day and said they're going to c- consider not allowing, not allowing Twitter in the EU. How are we any better than China on that front? Right? I mean, you're not allowed to see Twitter in China. And now the EU is going to try and follow in those footsteps? It doesn't seem right, now does it? We are going to talk to Craig Stanfill 
momentarily, he's one of the original creators of artificial intelligence. He was working in this space long before it was even a thing. And so he's, he's out with a new novel, a science fiction novel that deals with AI. It's a dystopian novel, and we're going to talk all about it. All this artificial intelligence is trying to monitor what we think, what we say, what we do, given what Elon Musk is facing. What is really going on here? Well, for that, I wanted to bring in a fascinating, fascinating individual with a ton of experience, having helped create artificial intelligence back in the day himself, Craig W. Stanfield, who is out with, by the way, a brand new novel, The Prophecy of the Heron, a dystopian artificial intelligence science fiction novel, which I think in some ways, having read it, speaks not so much in the fiction and in the realm, I don't know, perhaps of what could one day come. Hey, Craig, it's good to see you again. Nice to see you again, Trish. Wonderful as always. This is your second novel, and you really kind of tapped into something that I I find pretty eerie um, because there's no reason why it couldn't actually eventually happen given the trajectory we seem to be on. Tell me about the novel, what inspired you to do it, and we'll, we'll get into some of the other political things with Elon Musk, et cetera, and Twitter in a second. But first of all, just uh, your thoughts on, on why you wrote this and give us a little sort of synopsis, if you would, about the book and the challenges this character faces. This book is set in what I call the AI dystopia. And the root of it is really just watching what's going on in this country today and watching what's going on in the internet space and with artificial intelligence and wanting to scream, hold on, wait a moment. Do we really know where this is going? And I decided that what I would do is I would write some novels uh, set in a world in which the things that we were afraid are happening have happened. I transport you to 250 years from now. Uh, I put it 250 years in the future to avoid getting tangled up with contemporary partisan politics and pushing any hot buttons, but just to get people to think about what world are we building? Uh, now, in this world, you've got a bunch of technology companies, each of which is unrivaled in their sphere. You've got the artificial intelligence company. You've got the transportation company. You've got the food company. And they use their terms of service, which they change every time they want to, in order to control your behavior. And, you know, you sign their customer agreement and you sign over a lot of rights to them. You don't have to sign the food company's agreement. You don't have to eat either, however. Uh, and so it's sort of like the choice that, you know, making you a uh, offer you can't refuse to hand over all your rights. You know, one of the things that struck me just with regard to something that happened just the other day with Apple. Now, we one of the posits in this book is that the terms of service are always changing and that they will change the terms of service on a moment's notice uh, as as needs be. Well, what happened recently with Apple? Well, the Chinese citizenry are rising up in rebellion against uh, the COVID restrictions, and they're using Apple phones to exchange data peer-to-peer -peer using AirDrop. Mm -hmm. And so what did Apple do? In order to appease the Chinese government, they changed the rules on the fly to people stop people from doing it. And so the things that I had put in my first novel are already have just happened with the terms of service being changed on the fly uh, in real time, pretty much, in order to control events. 
you know, the more this stuff goes on, the more you have to worry, where does this go? If you want to understand where it could go, you know, read the book. It is a bleak world. Everybody's comfortable, by the way. You know, you, they bought you off with at least adequate levels of housing and food. So it's a comfortable dystopia. Mm -hmm. I think a comfortable dystopia is the most frightening because uh, you don't have the necessarily the uh, impetus to rebel. But they, they've gotten rid of all choice, gotten rid of all ability to choose your own way of life and forced everybody into, into a mold of identity. Now, the second, the first book picked is the story of Kim, who starts out very compliant and is brought to the point of rebellion uh, at long last. In the second book, Kim gets to see the fruit of the rebellion. And this, this part of the book is set largely on the outside, out of sort of at the edges of the control of the regime. Mm -hmm. She's sent to a place called District 33, which is a crime-ridden slum, mm -hmm. uh, very violent. And it becomes very quickly uh, evident that this society uses poverty and violence to control people. And that's what Kim gets to experience in the first part of the book, where she is put into a dangerous environment and the violence that seems to come out of nowhere, but is instigated in the, in the darkness by uh, the powers that be, uh, puts her in deadly peril from the beginning. And the snowball rolls from there and she eventually has to take action. Well, again, I mean, and, and some people would say that there's some similarities between District 33 in your book and some of the, the worst inner cities that are ridden with crime today, only in that, you know, maybe it's not AI in that case, but you have politicians making decisions that aren't necessarily in the best interest of the people, but maybe in the interest of them and in the interest of controlling populations. So if you factor in the technology and the AI and you, you know, are that many years in the future, you worry about how societies and dictatorships, if you would, can use that poverty and violence against a society for control. And I am a passionate advocate for freedom in all of its aspects. You know, I am pretty hardcore on freedom. I think that freedom has to be at the top of our value pyramid. Uh, I think that in the current political um, environment, Things like freedom from disinformation is an important freedom, some people think. Uh, mm -hmm. Freedom from inequality, the notion that uh, freedom from being judged on the basis of merit is sort of taken precedence over what we would call freedom. And when you start saying, well, freedom's important, but, free, you know, the individual is important, but pretty much you end up with a world where the individual is nothing and where freedom is gone. And that's the world that I've written about. Well, and, and you've gotten in a little trouble about, too. I mean, you, we've talked and cancel culture is so front and center these days and, and very hard for anybody to avoid. You're kind of walking on eggshells all the time. I don't want to offend anybody. What am I saying that might offend this one or that one? And you've you found yourself in situations where you don't get invited to the latest sci-fi conference because somebody's offended by something in a, your book or something you said, and you know, you can't win. It's worse than that. I got disinvited. <laughs> I was invited to give a talk on artificial intelligence at a science fiction convention uh, last uh, spring. 
And I was on the program and I had his time slot and everything else. And I was well into preparing for my talk. And then like a month beforehand, uh, some functionary of this science fiction convention let me know that I had been disinvited. And it was pretty clear that it was because she'd looked at my social media, determined that I was not particularly woke, let us say, mm -hmm. and uh, that I was not welcome on their, uh, no longer welcome on the program. Yeah. And, I mean, and that's a shame. And it's, you know, it's, it's not where we should be intellectually if we have any hope of growing as a society. Yeah. And as a budding author, um, I, I have to be afraid. It, and this is one of the things that really worries me. How do you know when you're in an authoritarian, unfree society? It's when you're afraid to speak your mind. I'm afraid to speak my mind. I speak my mind on some things, but there are some things that I simply don't talk about because there are people that if you offend, they will destroy you. And J.K. Rowling, for example, can survive the wrath of the angry mob, but uh, all it would take would be for a bunch of people to decide that I need to go away and uh, they could, you know, they could destroy me in an instant. And, well, I would have and, and wouldn't that be a shame? Because let me just back up for a second and say, you have the credentials, you have the bona fides, you have the education, you have the experience to really be writing about this. And I'll just say, because uh, I'm an avid reader, and in fact, thanks to some of your books, uh, have gotten far more interested in this genre. I mean, I think the last time I read sci-fi was probably some of the Orwellian uh, things that I've read. This in particular has really sparked my interest in the future. So your writing and your writing style is very readable, but also I think what's special about you as an author is that you have this background. I mean, you, you were on the forefronts of AI before anybody else was doing it. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, because I think that's worth the listeners, the viewers understanding the perspective you come at all of this with? Well, I've got the perspective of a life spent in the uh, computer industry and the software industry. Uh, after I got my PhD in AI, I went to work for an innovative young company called Thinking Machines Corporation, which I was at from 1983 till 1994. And we did some truly innovative things in the way uh, area of parallel computing, high performance computing mm -hmm. uh, with artificial intelligence. I was part of the AI group. And, uh, and this is like the, back in the eighties, right? Like nobody was, was talking back about in the eighties, early, yeah. Late eighties, early nineties mm -hmm. during the first flowering of artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. And we pioneered a lot of the things that are being done today under the guise of data science and artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. However, it was premature. Uh, in the 1990s, there was something called the AI winter where the uh, field pretty much died. And I went on to take some of the things that I'd learned about parallel computing and start a company that does high performance enterprise computing, Abinitio Software. And we are not a household name, but we have a very important role in the wrangling of data for some of the largest companies in the world. And uh, I won't I won't name names, but uh, we touch our lives every day. <laughs> we touch your lives every day uh, with because we, we are in the processing chain for a lot of your data. And in the course of this, I got to where I have a very good understanding of the capabilities of data processing today and how you can handle vast amounts of data. And that's part of what led to my understanding of 
the corporate data environment and how data is collected and how it's used mm -hmm. and how you scale things up to a tremendous scale. You know, I've built software systems that can handle in real time the entire telecommunications traffic of India or Indonesia, you know, hundreds of millions of uh, subscribers and keep an eye on everybody uh, in terms of how they're using their handsets. And there's nothing sinister there. All they want to do is show you advertisements for things that you want to buy. And that has actually some economic merit, but the potential for abuse is huge. Yeah. I, I agree with you on that. And what my sort of frustration is, Craig, is that I don't know as we have people in Washington, D.C. that have any clue, right? They don't understand the industry. You were there in the early 80s watching the beginning of all this. A lot of our people there, whether it be in the White House or on Capitol Hill, I mean, they just don't have the bandwidth, the understanding to really think about what could be next. I mean, to think that the EU is like, okay, we get a ban Twitter, but hey, TikTok's fine. I mean, what is it that these politicos are missing? They've got their eye off the ball. As a society, both in the United States and in Europe, we've lost sight of the overriding importance of freedom. Freedom is the most important thing in the world. Full stop. If you don't have freedom, you don't have anything. The freedom to think as you want to think, the freedom to look at the world as you want to look at it, to collect information, to sift it through it and, and come to an understanding of what's true and what's false. And now that the internet has come along, the authoritarians of the world have the perfect engine really to gain control of information gain control of facts far beyond the dreams of anything that Big Brother could have imagined and create for you a world that doesn't exist. Uh, and this, you know, in AI, this comes into deep fake where, you know, for example, the Chinese have news anchors that aren't real, they're AIs. People are now using AI to write news stories and things like that. Right. And we're that. rapidly up this is part of what virtual reality is a metaphor in my book for the world in which we live. Uh, the virtual reality system is so realistic. It seems like it's real. And it seems like it, sometimes it seems like the, the quote unquote physical world is a dark, is a dark shadow of it. And we're moving in that direction. We don't live in the real world anymore is something to understand. We don't live in the real world. We live in the internet. We get all of our information in the internet. We communicate via the internet. And the internet is highly susceptible to manipulation by these shadowy companies and by governments. And so you only see and you only know what they want you to know and see. And they're getting ever better and more obtrusive at hiding inconvenient truths like the Hunter Biden laptop. If you're living in a world that doesn't exist, how do you know what's true and how, and how do you know what's false? And the answer is you don't. You only know what they allowed you to see. It's a very dangerous and slippery slope. The ultimate battlefield is the, the battle over reality. And really, there's a war right now raging over reality and what is reality. And I, I have to go back again to the granddaddy of them all uh, of dystopias, uh, George Orwell. Mm -hmm. uh, whoever controls the present, who controls the past, 
whoever controls the past controls the future. If you can control reality and bend reality to your will, then there is no limit to your power. People process information, and if you control what facts that they see and mm -hmm. control their access to data, you can get them to believe anything. Yeah. You know, it's After interesting you mentioned to George Orwell, not to, to cut you off, but it, Animal Farm, you know, that he couldn't even get it published. They wouldn't publish it in the beginning because it was a criticism of communism and Russia and the USSR. They, they, they didn't want that because, you know, we had teamed up with the Russians and the Russians were an ally in the, around World War II. So it wasn't really until years later, suddenly it became of interest. It's even worse now where uh, this, the center these days of the publishing industry is Amazon. Amazon is where 90% of your sales come from. Amazon has gotten to be rather obtrusive in ideologically suppressing works. By the way, you can also, I think, get the book on your website. I would encourage people to go to craigwstanfill.com and check it out. The Prophecy of the Heron. Listen, I, I mean, I read your first book. I like this one even better. I'm not completely finished it yet, but um, there's, what, how are you, uh, how are you able to get that all together in, in so much time? Oh, well, actually it seems like it took forever. Uh, the first book came out in the uh, April last year, yeah. and uh, this one came out in November. So that was uh, 18 months or so to get that book out, something like that. And it was, I mean, get up, write, go to bed, write. I put almost everything else in my life on hold for the last year and a half getting this book done. My readers want more, and I want to be able to uh, bring books to them so that they can read and enjoy them. Listen, it's great. And I think, you know, for, for my listeners and my viewers, it touches on all of these issues that I think we're worried about in a very big way, as you, as you highlighted, and, and brings it forward. And you're entertained. And I encourage people to check this out. Again, it's The Prophecy of the Heron, craigwstanville.com. You can get it on Amazon, too, still. <laughs> Thank you for being here. I think these are just important things that need to be said, Craig. Well, I think so. And I've really dedicated the uh, tail end of my career. Uh, I've, 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 I've written enough code in my life. I've designed enough <laughs> software. Uh, I've got like 80 software patents and a, and a dozen major project products uh, on sale throughout the world. I've written enough software and uh, it's time to give something back to the world. And what I'm doing is what I'm trying to do that is to share my insights into technology and the ways in which we are in the process of losing our all-important freedoms and motivate people to say, this has to stop. Your freedoms are taken away a little at a time. You know, the old thing about boiling a frog very slowly. Well, we're being, we're frogs, we're being boiled very slowly. We can't say anything without it coming to the attention, say, of the Chinese or social media. Our freedoms are in peril. There are people out there who control information and control AIs who do not like freedom. Freedom stands in the way of power. Freedom of speech stands in the way of power. And in order to achieve power, they have to control the narrative. They have to control reality. And they're becoming ever more intrusive in their censorship. Hey, Craig, thank you so much for joining us today.
My thanks again to Craig. Hey, listen, it's great to have all of you here. It really, really is. A quick shout out again to my friends over at Rough Greens, R-U-F-F-Greens.com. Wonderful company. You know how much I like it and I talk about it a lot because it's made such a difference in my little puppy. I call him a puppy. He's not really a puppy, but you know. He'll always be my puppy. He'll always be my little baby. Fluffy. It's made such a difference in Fluffy's life. It's a supplement I give him every day with his food. It makes his food taste better because apparently this picky eater now suddenly loves everything. I love that he's getting his vitamins, his nutrients, the digestive enzymes that really make a difference in his life. It was created by naturopathic Dr. Dennis Black, a former Army Ranger who cares passionately about health including the health of his two very big dogs. You know, mine's just a little guy. But he cares and he wants to make sure that every single dog has the opportunity to get all those things that they need to live their lives. I mean, some of the the food that you see on these store shelves, he would tell you, you know what, this is dead food. It's dead food. And there's only one way to make it come alive. And you make it come alive through the right kinds of nutrients, So this is what your dog needs. He's got a special offer. He just wants to make sure every dog is healthy. So you can get a free trial bag. You just have to pay for shipping by going to roughgreens.com today. Again, that's rough, R-U-F-F, get it, greens.com today. I think your dog will love it. I'd be shocked if he didn't. And uh, I think uh, Fluffy, as picky as he is, is probably one of the best testaments to it, given the success I've had with him. Listen, have a wonderful, wonderful day, a wonderful evening. We'll be back talking with you again tomorrow. I love hearing from you. So drop me a line. You can follow my newsletter and connect with me there at trishintel.com. Just sign up or on Twitter at Trish underscore Regan. Yeah, I still use it on Twitter. I'm on every social media platform. So follow me there on Facebook and Instagram as well. And we'll talk again tomorrow. Have a good one.